This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your inner city AP calculus teacher host, Javi. And, uh, okay, this week we're doing Stand and Deliver. Um, How do we reach these children? <laughs> Which is funny, that line is not said once in this entire No, movie. it isn't. But it is. I, I'm kind of excited to talk about this movie. It's one of those, like, last minute, like, things that ended up happening that this was the movie we picked um and i'm very glad that we did this is a movie that i've seen a lot of times like a lot of times uh first time ever i actually saw it uh was in high school i watched it in my spanish class so in my high school like there was beginner spanish and then there was intermediate spanish and the intermediate spanish class because most of us already like you know weren't great at it but we all spoke spanish it w- it really was more of like an ethnic studies class than anything and uh one of the things that our teacher showed us in that class was this movie and you know being someone who grew up in the 90s i watched all of edward james almost like 90s output you know he's selena's dad he was in my family he was in american me it's just like he felt like the guy who did the L.A. Chicano gangster movies more than anything, even though he's only in like one of them. <laughs> um, and that's all I really knew him from until I became an adult. And then I watched him in uh, Blade Runner. And apparently, you know, around the time that this movie was coming out, he was considered kind of a young guy to, to play the role that he's going to play. So this movie is based on a true story. <clears throat> a uh, high school math teacher from Garfield High School, uh, Jaime Escalante, who <clears throat> I guess worked, uh, you know, as a computer programmer or engineer of some sort and decides that, you know, instead of continuing the career that he's doing, that he wants to go back to teaching, well, or that he wants to go to teaching high school. Um, originally, he wants to teach them computers, but it turns out that the, that the high school that he's at, which is in I guess it's native East LA. Garfield High School? Yeah. It, it's the school apparently is considered, you know, an awful school, you know, a way. I wonder why. On the verge of losing accreditation. Uh, they're barely graduating people. And <clears throat> it seems like a lost cause to even get them computers, which is why they have so much trouble, you know, I guess procuring them for this course. Because there are no computers in this school, he actually ends up becoming a math teacher instead. And, you know, this movie really revolves around the story of him bringing up a class of, uh, you know, of these kind of underserved kids uh, and pushing them through AP calculus and passing the AP calculus exam. So uh, that's the story behind this. Um the movie, as I said, stars Edward James Olmos. It's the only movie that he's ever starred in that has netted him 
an Academy Award nomination. So mm -hmm. despite the fact that in our community, like, you know, for Latin American film fans and filmmakers now, I mean, this guy's a legend. And you and I feel like people in our community revere him the way people revere like Pacino, De Niro, and like these heavy hitter like actors. Like, you know, that's that's how we view Edward James almost. This is actually his only movie that he got nominated for. It's kind of whack. There's a lot of like racial cultural shit <laughs> in this movie, you know, that 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 gets touched on apart, that gets touched upon. Um but anyway, before we get into that, uh, what was your experience with this movie since I've already given away mine? Uh, my experience with this movie is that it's always been kind of a, uh, a touchstone film in our household. Like, my dad loves this movie, and I remember he showed this movie to me when uh, I was like, I was way too young to understand what it was really about. It was maybe like eight or nine years old, and then... Uh, like, yeah, like, like, yeah, like, I still understood what was going on, but it wasn't, like, I couldn't really truly appreciate it, because at that time, I didn't really have the um, very socially conscious mind. Uh, just a heads up for our folks, we will be, you know, like, because of the nature of this film, because we're, because of, we're talking about a high school and a class of students that aren't really privileged and weren't afforded a lot of chances, this is going to be a movie where we talk about a lot of social issues we're going to talk about things like uh you know we're going to talk about discrimination and racism and redlining and the practice of redlining and discrimination within the education system and kind of like structural and uh institutional racism in general um just adds up if that's not your if that's not your jam if that's something you want to escape from this podcast pro this pro podcast episode probably won't be for you um, but for those of you that maybe do have feelings and do want to talk about it, we are interested in hearing from you guys, um, like in the, you know, in our, uh, feel free to reach out to us on the socials talking about this, but yeah, like it was, I had a really interesting experience with this movie. Cause I think when I was like 13 or 14, like right before going into high school, I remember we, for some reason, my, one of my teachers, felt it necessary to show us this movie in class and it was the first time i truly felt like representation in within my school because i went to I, I went to a catholic school i went to a catholic school uh from third grade to geez till i graduated high school pretty much i i had the uh will smith from fresh prince of bel-air experience where i got punched in the face got one fight my parents were like nope we're not raising no one to be like a scrub so mm -hmm. my parents were like oh we'll just pay a bunch put you in <laughs> in private school i feel like a so, thing that people could more feasibly do when you know when we were growing up <laughs> than oh, 100 yeah definitely yeah, because like the just the private high school i went to which, I mean, trust me, I was lucky and it was a good education, yada, 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 gotta always say that. But, <laughs> I mean, my parents worked hard for, for me to be able to go to that school. But at the end of the day, it's like, like, from what I hear now, my high school costs almost as much as it would have cost for, like, a quarter in college when I was going there. <laughs> like, it, it is insane, like, how much those college prep schools, like, costs have gone up um 
And yeah, like you were saying, that's something that was a lot more feasible and a lot more common, say, in the 90s and the early aughts when we were in a state of like economic expansion as opposed to now, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah, when I was like in when I was in in like what would have been junior high, our teacher showed us this movie and I was like, holy crap, this is the first time something I watched as a kid is being shown in class. And it's something I can relate to. Like, that was the first time I realized that was like an experience I shared um, that I could share and I could relate to with other people. And it was just important for me at the time, seeing something that was played so often in my household, being able to see it in class for other people of different cultures to also experience, too. So, So yeah, this movie, um, it is, I guess it's, it's, it's one of the earlier examples of this, but in the 80, late 80s, early 90s to mid 90s, there was this real, or ever since this movie, there's been this popular subgenre of movies that are, you know, teacher goes to inner city high school, tries to get underachieving students or underserved kids from poor, lower income, crime ridden neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's supposed to be like this bizarre triumph story. But the, the thing that this movie does, and I think what sets it apart from all the other movies in those subgenres, and I do like them, but no let's say what I would compare this to something like Dangerous Minds, which is another one of the movies in this kind of genre that I like, you know, it starred Michelle Pfeiffer. And it was her like teaching in a class in, in East Palo Alto, which is closer to where we live it's in northern california um but i feel like all of those kind of movies they they spend a ton of time focusing on the crime element of it and it like needs to have some bizarre like trauma porn scene where one of the characters in the class has died or one of the like characters in the class had like their relative or friend die and how it's like supposed to be the moment that like tells them that they can't be in the streets anymore. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it is, it's not realistic. Right. Like, I mean, I went to high school in the kind of school that would be in these movies. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was in the school system and it's like, it's not really like that. It's not as dramatic as movies make it out to be sure you go to school in areas where you know a lot of crime was happening like you know when i was in school uh where we live in california like it was like the per capita like murder capital of the state you know for one of the years that i was in high school but it's like Mm -hmm. you know if if you're like in school or it's like it wasn't just those kids that existed right like it's Mm -hmm. there's other kinds of kids that are there too and i feel like when you talk about representation, what are the problems I have with a lot of representation of people that look like us in movies is that it's only like the angel character in this. So angel Guzman mm-hmm. played by Lou diamond Phillips. Um, I feel like he, oh, that kind of character is the only character that gets any kind of like arc in those, in these movies. And if one of the lesser directors or one of the more, you know, one of the less this was also uh directed by a hispanic director too and i think Mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference if we're getting the white hollywood version of this angel's friend is you know who's in the beginning of the movie who drops out of school dies like that is how Mm -hmm. that goes 
And then that's going to be the moment that finally gets him to, <laughs> to want to pay attention in AP calculus. And the movie's just about like him and like his dealing with his trauma and all that kind of stuff. And this movie doesn't do that. And I appreciate the fact that it doesn't do that. In fact, what it does, and I didn't realize it until I watched it for this episode, is it really does a lot of the things that, that John Hughes movies do that I like, you know, mm-hmm. like this class of different types of teens that are all Hispanic, right? So it's not mm-hmm. just one archetype. You're not just getting the Cholo, like, stereotype that's existing in one character. You're getting him. You're getting the guy who works on cars, who, you know, you get the girl who's supporting a lot of her siblings, like by doing a lot of the housework while both of her working parents are working, right? You get the girl whose parents are come with those old world ideas of the fact Mm -hmm. that, well, we don't want them to go to college and get educated. And we'll get into that when we get into that. But it's like, we get that. And then we also get the girl who's the kind of like boy crazy girl. Mm -hmm. And it's like, even she is someone who is like, who, uh, who has more of like, there's more to them. And it's just awesome to watch it because, and and also kind of a bummer to watch it because you're like, damn, you're like, they didn't make any more movies like this. Like, it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, like, we don't get food in movies because it's like the only people who get any kind of space are the negative stereotypes. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I'm glad that this movie doesn't do that. And even the character who is the quote unquote negative Cholo stereotype is actually, you know, again, he he doesn't do anything that like, you know, that, that turns you against him as a character. He doesn't have to have somebody die in his family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's just someone who you, who you understand does the things he does because that's where he lives. Then you have the other character, you know, Javier, who's the nerd character. <laughs> His name's Javier. <laughs> you mm-hmm. fucking nerd. <laughs> Shut up. If you were in any other movie, your character would have died. So fuck you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. But I didn't even notice that. Both of us actually, there's an angel <laughs> and a Javier in this movie. <laughs> that's <not> true. <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're the one that passes the AP exam with a five. You're the fucking real nerd. I would never fucking pass AP I was reading Dune and getting bitches. (laughs) (laughs) You're actually better at math than I am. So I think you even had to tutor me at one point in college. So actually, you'd probably thrive in this class better than I would. (laughs) I actually did take calculus in college. I took like pre-cal and then some calculus. And I think I passed with a solid C because C's get degrees. <laughs> Fuck math, dude. Math is hard. <laughs> That's but, why I'm um, trying to be a social worker. <laughs> but anyway, it's like it's it's you know it, it's cool that we have that kind of movie that you know exists here. Um, I, I do guess want to that... touch on that real quick, like <laughs> what you were talking about the arcs, because yeah, Javier was the nerd. They also had the really like not so touched upon punk rock skater like yes. subculture. Like I love that they included these characters that you don't traditionally see uh, Latinos in those uh, subcultures because That's we're, what I'm we're saying. not. Yeah, they're not considered <laughs> a part of our scene, and it's like, nah, bro. Like there's so many, there's so many different kinds of people, and it's like it, it's you know, where you live and what you do, like your experience is colored by a lot of different things. Like I knew a lot of people who grew up in my neighborhood who are Hispanic and they might be into like anime. They might be nerds. They might be, um, you know, but I'm pointing at myself. (laughs) There's (laughs) soccer players. There's 
uh, you know, we, I knew people in bands, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they, they, like we are not in, it's like, that. it's a term that's used a lot, but it's like, we're not a monolith. And one of the mm -hmm. things that's really cool about this movie and probably the reason why this movie was basically financed independently, it's distributed by uh, Columbia pictures, mm -hmm. but it is, it is a uh, independently financed movie that the direct that I guess the creators had to get made through grants. And I guess one of them was like a PBS grant. Mm -hmm. um, because I, can, it's like, I, I totally feel that. I think that's what helps <laughs> ground this movie in realism. Right. Like I'm, that makes me really happy. And that, and that also kind of gets me into the representation aspect of it, because it's like one of the problems that we have as well is, you know, one of the reasons why there is not a lot of representation is that movie executives have this like, like this idea that that white audiences won't go to see movies that non-white characters are in and this is a movie that's pretty popular like i i hear like i hear it referenced and quoted even outside of the latin american community mm -hmm. like people know what this movie is i mean and... the quote i used to open this episode was from south park <laughs> <laughs> like it's one of those movies that transcends just being a latin movie or a or a Hispanic movie. Like, this mm -hmm. is a movie that is worked its way into like a cultural zeitgeist. And I don't know if I referenced it. I don't know if I referenced it before, but this is a really great podcast that I listened to uh, as well, uh, you know, called Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And they've done an episode, like, they've done several episodes where they talk about the fact that it's like, you know, in, 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 in when it comes to black representation on film, there's a hesitancy from studio executives as well where if you have too many black characters in a movie that apparently one of the death nails to your project is like having your movie labeled a black film, because then your funding, your like budget gets cut and the marketing gets cut. And it's one of those things where it's like, they, they feel like they can't market it to white audiences. Mm -hmm. So they don't, so they don't like, they don't put as much like um, resources into financing those kind of movies so i can totally see it i think and you know there's another podcast we recently started listening to called isimo too where they talk mm -hmm. about a very interesting phenomenon where it's like these movie execs tend to they think on the idea or you know they had to operate on the idea of stereotypes when the stereotypes is that latinos don't go to movies so a lot of the times they're you know like movies aren't 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 aimed at us or yeah. aimed towards us because of the fact uh, that we quote unquote don't go to movies and it's like well no dude make movies for us and maybe we'll go to movie theaters same thing same thing with black folks it's like they try to say that black folks won't go watch movies and it's like well let let black creators make more stories yeah and <laughs> don't give it that death nail you know and that's or, the purpose here right of this conversation is we need to let more more creators make these kinds of movies because uh, i mean it goes without saying we haven't gotten to the end of this podcast yet but you and i both really like this movie and mm -hmm. we both really appreciate and care Spoilers. about this movie <laughs> and we wanted to give it a real good discussion because of how we feel about this movie and knowing that it's made by, you know, a director that has actual, like, understanding of the Hispanic community, it's why it feels so, like, it, why it has this depth that no other movies, like, really have. And it's funny, too, because I read it, I was reading a review of this movie by Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert did not like this movie. He mm. thought that, he thought that um, Edward James Almost was good in it, but there's a lot of stuff that he thought was really schmaltzy. 
and kind of formulaic about it. And it, it made me laugh. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. Roger Ebert is not here with us anymore. But um, one of the things that I just I'm just like, dude, like, it's like it's like it, it's funny to hear them talk about, you know, how it's something that's so formulaic and stuff like that. It's like, dude, what do you want? Like, do you want it to be like? one of those movies where the Cholo's friend dies, like, like, like you just talked about, like, like, or one of the girls in the class gets pregnant. Like, like, what are you waiting for? Because like, is that what you're expecting from this movie? Cause <laughs> yeah. do, are we just living stereotypes for you? But I mean, and that's, and that's the thing. It's, it's the other thing why it's like, when you read reviews on something like this, it's like, okay, are the people who reviewed this, do they understand some of the cultural significance of this? And if they don't, why don't they understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips is the star of this movie, and mm-hmm. he is, you know, a Native American kind of, you know, actor. Is Lou Diamond Phillips Mexican at all? I don't think he is. Is he? I think he's like. I want to say, and I could be wrong. I mm-hmm. want to say he's Native. Yeah, I want to say he's Native American and Filipino. Okay. I'm going to look it up, though. Go ahead. Keep talking. Yeah. So it's like the funny thing about Lou Diamond Phillips is that this is this is the movie that one uh, that he did after he did La Bamba, who, you know, another movie that I watched in this same Spanish, a.k.a. ethnic studies class that I was in, where we kind of learned about Richie Valens. And and it's like if you don't, if you never like, you know, um, like if you never watched La Bamba, you actually don't even really know who Richie Valens is. Like I do because I listen to oldies and I do like listen to some of the songs that he's put out before, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of people in mainstream, like, you know, America that didn't know anything about him. And their only exposure to him was that he was like on the same plane that like Buddy Holly died on. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, yeah, Mexican Buddy Holly. And it's like, no. That's... <laughs> and... Oh, so turns out Lou Diamond Phillips, we were actually wrong. He is. Okay of scotch irish descent on his dad's side and oh, okay. full filipino on his mom's side and he was actually born on a military base out in the philippines so but he's also super ethnically ambiguous where he can like go into all these different roles like where because i have seen him play uh you know an indigenous an indigenous character before i have seen him play latinos like he's a latino here you know so <laughs> he's just one of those guys that uh because he's kind of like the rock in that no one knew what the rock was for the longest time <laughs> so they were able to just, so you know rock could take a mold, like a whole bunch of different roles all over hollywood well because he like took the role of richie balance like i feel like it kind of made him a bit of an icon in our community <laughs> like you know it's like it's like oh no i even made the joke to you where we've kind of also adopted him because he's been <laughs> so instrumental of being a part of like being a part of these stories telling the latino experience and i think i think there's probably a chance that producers thought that he was hispanic and that's why because he mentions that like i, I was watching an interview with him on youtube where he was talking about how at the time that this movie comes about like he wasn't getting called for stuff like he he wasn't Mm -hmm. really working and he mentioned that despite the fact that he played richie valens in la bamba like he barely made any money off of it gave half the money he made off that movie to his mom and was basically like on the verge of you know not being able to pay his rent at some point and one of the things that uh that ended up like 
giving him, you know, this role was he was, uh, I guess, got the part. It was like a bit part on an episode of Miami Vice, which Edward mm-hmm. James almost was on. And this, I think this movie was made around the time where either he had just finished on Miami Vice or was still in Miami Vice. So this is like kind of a, a heyday for him or, or like a big period for Edward James almost. And yeah, they, he was on he was in Miami Vice in 87 and then this movie came out a year later. Okay. So yeah, it's very close. And and I guess they both met on the set of that movie, and Edward James almost is the guy, probably because he'd seen the Bamba. Um, he he asked him to come and work on this other film that he was working on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I guess yeah. One one last thing I wanted to talk about real quick mm-hmm. is what I do love about this film is that there you know it was told in a very realistic way, and the best part is there's no white savior complex in this yes. film. Yes. You know, like it's one of those things where it's like, how many of the times do we watch these types of movies where there is that savior complex, where is that savior character that comes to the hood to save and you know fix people's problems? And don't get me wrong, a lot of people like those types of films, like Hardball. People love Hardball. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Hardball in years, but I remember I liked it when I was a kid. Freedom Riders, same thing. I remember Freedom Riders being very, like, very likable. But it's just one of those things where it's like. You know, like, especially, you know, I mentioned how I I think I mentioned on the show that I'm going back to school. And it's like one of the things I'm learning is the importance of being of being able to build up a community because the importance of a change in a community needs to come from within. It can't be from some outside actor coming in and trying to tell people, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's always annoying to see in those films where it's like, oh, okay, here comes the privileged character to save all the the young savages almost you know Mm -hmm. um but you know to see in this film where it's a guy that's of the community that it you know has embedded they've lived like a shared experience with the same as these kids and literally the only like the if there's a mantra that needs to that you know represents this film is just ganas and it's something that's only said once but it's like it just permeates this film because it's like it's said from someone that not only cares about the students but was one of those students maybe 30 years ago (laughs) so it's just really cool to see how it was written with that in mind and not necessarily under the lens of the like the new neo-colonial like um school of thought you know so that was just one thing i wanted to mention the other bit in this too is it's interesting that the closest thing to a villainous character that we have in this is Andy Garcia's character of Dr. Ramirez. (laughs) And interestingly enough, look, Andy Garcia is an actor of Cuban descent, right? Mm. It is. um, And and this isn't like an anti-Cuba podcast or anything like that. Like it's not, it's just one of the, the nuances of this movie, like looking back on it now is also just the fact that again, we talked about how the Latin community is not a monolith. Like, there's mm-hmm. also internal issues between different members of Latin communities. Yeah. <clears throat> and even though this character is not, it's not said that he's anything other than Mexican, right? But it's just the kind of attitude that he has about it that's just like, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, well, I had a rough life too, you know? Like, when they when he gets into it with with uh, Jaime, like, later in mm-hmm. the movie, it's like, it, it, it's this kind of, there, there, there's a lot of people in our community of all 
you know, of all countries, not just Cuba, right? I'm talking about like all countries. There's this conservative element <laughs> of our How communities many Latinos as voted well. For Trump? Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, and, and it's what's, it's cool that it captures like the fact that there are so many differing opinions. And again, you get it because it's a completely non-white cast. And mm-hmm. that's cool. I like that. <laughs> it reminded me of my time when we did the reverse white savior story when I went to a uh, when I was the flag football coach at the uh, privileged, <laughs> the privileged part of the Oakland Hills when I was coaching those kids, and that was a fun experience. I just, <laughs> I just remember that I think it was a friend of the show, Joey, that was like, "Hey, Javi, so if you're gonna go to all these old white kids and teach them how to play football, or is it like the opposite of our regular like football movies?" <laughs> And I, and it was funny. I remember that was a really interesting experience, just like going into going into a whole nother school, um, or going into a whole nother neighborhood and learning kind of like how that works. I remember one of the kids asked me, Hey coach, have you ever been in a gang fight? And I just looked at him like, listen here, Kyle, do I look like I've been in a gang fight before? <laughs> it was just like one of those really funny experiences. But yeah, just thought I'd share that. Uh-huh. Anyway. Want right. to jump into this? Uh, sure. So the movie starts with uh, Jaime Escalante going into his class uh, for the first time again. He he note, realizes that he's teaching math and he's not teaching computers to any of these kids. Um, the whole movie, it's like it doesn't have much of a plot, right? Like the plot is just really it's the passing of time, and it's showing how as the time is going by, the, the kids in the class are starting to. <laughs> none of them really like his shtick but at least they yeah. respect him because you know he seems like one of those teachers that meets them at the level that they're at and mm. i think this is kind of a big deal too because you know I, you and i have talked about the differences in our high school experience too because you know i mean because i was in closer to the public school i was i went to a charter school yeah. but i was closer to the public school system than you were and a lot of the teachers that i had were black hispanic you know i had female teachers as well like they basically it's like i feel like i got exposed to stuff that i thought was normal and that everyone else had and i think you and i have had conversations where it's like no like you actually had cooler teachers than i did (laughs) they were a lot more like culturally uh able to meet at the level that you're at when where I guess some of your teachers or, you know, teachers of friends that I know that like they didn't have that same experience. So uh, I I think that's why they appreciate him as a teacher, even though it's a rough start at first where it's like, no one wants to listen to him and Mm -hmm. the kids all mess with the ring bell. Like, I mean, with the, with the school bell and Mm -hmm. it just, yeah. (laughs) I I can count on one hand, how many teachers from my old high school I actually like, you can say I learned life lessons from, <laughs> or that taught me how to critically think. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is that when you're in high school, you don't know how to critically think. You don't know how to like, um, you don't know how to view the world outside of your own egocentric lens, not egotistical, not in a bad way. It's just, you know, when we're young, we tend to just view the world and how it directly affects us. I only had maybe a couple teachers that kind of challenged that thought and made us start thinking about that. So I a hundred percent do agree with that. Um, 
in that certain schools do have this mentality of pushing the numbers and getting certain test scores, getting certain graduation rates and things like that. And you can tell that Garfield High in the opening of this film is not one of those schools that's high up on the priority. You know, like this is a school that obviously is lacking in funding, lacking resources because they don't have high test scores. But then there's the cash 22. Well, you don't have high test scores because you don't have resources to allocate to getting those test scores up. And it's like, well, why don't you have the resources? Because the test scores aren't high enough to justify the school district pumping money into these schools. So it creates this vicious, like self-fulfilling cycle where a lot of these kids just aren't able to get the help or get the, get get the help or get the resources or even just like even show the interest because anytime they do show the interest you know it took Jaime Escalante even coming to the school and and essentially volunteering his time for the for the AP calculus class to even start you know like and teaching um, conditions for the most part have not gotten much better since then Oh like, no, it, not it, at it, all. We we know we have friends who are teachers who spend their own money getting supplies for their classes to be able to do their jobs. They spent inordinate amount of time like trying to prepare lesson plans for kids. They've had to teach distance learning for this last year. Like, you know, it's like you're basically trying to relearn the things you've done before as a teacher, give all of your lecture and instruction through zoom calls on video. And we're not paying teachers anymore for what they're Mm -hmm. doing. They are going back into situations where they can get sick still because Delta variant and variants of COVID like still exist as well. Like we have not gotten better at this. We haven't gotten better funding at schools because Mm -hmm. of, you know, segregated living conditions. And Mm -hmm. it's like, and the shitty part about it is anytime that there aren't white people in your neighborhood, you're going to get less funding for stuff. And because your property values are low and your property taxes are what helps pay for schools. And the, the shitty part is that when your neighborhoods start getting gentrified and the other people who, you know, didn't grow up there with you start moving in, property values go up, uh, resources in school might start going up. But then all of a sudden you can't afford to live there anymore and you're the one that's getting pushed out of your own neighborhood. So it's, you know, it, not to get too overly political about it, but it's just, you know, it, it's no, but- unfortunate when you go through a movie like this and you realize that a lot of the shitty aspects of it have not mm-hmm. gotten any better in the 30, 40 years since this is taking place no and that's the thing like education in our country and in this movie is a political problem and i mean it is a political issue because of the fact that you know unfortunately institutional racism has played played a huge factor and even like what kind of schools we can even get into just because of the zip code you live in you know Mm -hmm. like i can't tell you how many times like how blatantly obvious it is that these kids like when i back when i was working with an organization that was a partner with my local uh school district like you can tell what schools were getting the resources and what schools weren't and how if you came from a certain part of richmond you were sent to certain other schools (laughs) and i can't tell you how many of the students i worked with had to like like when they when they enrolled in the school had to use you know other people's addresses family members addresses 
um, friends, people they grew up with. So that way they can go to a school that had a better, mm-hmm. you know, better education system or had more resources or even a better sports program, you know? Um, and again, this all ties into this whole, like the, the beginning of that gentrification process that started back in, you know, as, as early as the eighties with the whole process of redlining and putting certain people, people of color, in certain parts of the city and then being like okay well you guys live there clearly you don't make enough you're not in the right tax bracket so you get a little bit smaller piece of the pie as opposed to a school in a more uh, wealthy and affluent area yeah and now you know the fact that we've had we've grown up in the time of no child left behind and how they're like you know how this country's like solution to like schools that are struggling to get like you know the high proficiency rates that the best way to do it is to just test kids to fucking hell and back and Mm -hmm. uh, punish schools that aren't testing well enough. And that's, you know, again, we can, (laughs) we can jump out of this from here, but (laughs) yeah, this movie definitely, it, it is so real. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it just, it, it has such a tactile reality to it that it's just, it's, it's hard to not think about some of the real aspects of this, especially because, you know, a lot of these kids, like the kids in this movie are literally our parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally, like my parents dress like this. My parents acted like this, like this, we really are watching like people that we know (laughs) in that first day of class is hilarious to see Mr. Escalante go into class and try to get everyone's attention and he's trying to play it cool trying to be mm-hmm. like he's not he's not trying to be a dickhead like he doesn't go in and start yelling at the kids but he also try he doesn't he doesn't give them anything right like he's also like like he tells them hey find a seat and one body to a seat when the one girl tries to sit on her boyfriend's lap (laughs) and then like he try and as he tries to get people to sit down um he realizes that one the first problem not enough desks two he's in a mixed class where he has a lot of esl students a lot of Mm -hmm. kids that are you know learning english as a second language mostly primary spanish speakers so then he has to tell the you know, he has to translate exactly what he says to one group of students uh, to the other group of students, you know? So it's like, he's got, he's already got to split his time. And, and of they're course, lucky that it, those students are lucky that they have at least that guy in that class doing that. Because mm-hmm. imagine like, just like, I grew up with a ton of ESL students and kids who had just come into the country and hadn't been here for that long mm-hmm. that had to like, you know, catch up without knowing the language and did not have teachers who, who, who had the time or patience to, to help get them up to speed and nor did the schools, the schools didn't really care, you know? And, and it's so, yeah, it's like, they're lucky enough that they at least have one teacher like that in one class, but yeah, it's definitely, yeah, he's definitely starting in a, in a difficult position. Did I ever tell you that I was thrown into ESL? No. Yeah. When I was like in kindergarten, I went. I was in ESL too. Yeah, like I when see. I was like kindergarten or first grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you had a very similar experience. Same experience. Yeah, where yeah. it was like even though we were probably the best English speakers of the class, we were still ESL. Yeah, and for all intents and purposes, we probably would have been okay in like the regular class. 
or the regular quote unquote class. This, yeah, the English I, I literally classes. got halfway. We, well, I also have ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. So I literally got halfway through kindergarten and I was having a ton of issues adjusting. And part of it was probably because of the fact that I do have ADHD. But the mm-hmm. other part of it is I, I understood and still now understand more English than Spanish and mm-hmm. speak it more proficiently. I understand every single word of English, uh, Spanish that you tell me. It's just when I talk it, when I have to like speak in Spanish, I have moments where I, I just don't get words right. And um, mm-hmm. I struggle to speak it. So I definitely know English more. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, it's like when I got enrolled in school, they probably thought that I was going to have a harder time learning English, but because I had picked it up pretty quickly and English mm-hmm. was just an easier language for me to understand, like halfway through kindergarten, they, they, they moved me out of ESL, but man, they had, plenty of friends, ESL. had plenty of friends who were still in ESL. They kept me in ESL until second grade. And then I had to translate for the ESL kids <laughs> to like the other kids. <laughs> oh my God. And it was always funny. Cause we'd get like, Man, they should tell a story of my... I should make a movie about my second grade experience back when we used to get into <laughs> fights with other kids because they were like, screw you, Spanish speakers. <laughs> anyway, don't want don't this to get too crazy and off the rails. All right, but, so uh, the movie... As the movie goes on, Jaime basically tells, you know, the, the faculty as they're starting to lose their accreditation, look, you know, there are things... If we start teaching more advanced class, more advanced math classes, it's going to be better. If we help build these students up to the to where they are taking, you know, uh, AP calculus, they can get college credit. And it's like, you know, if you want to fix a school, you kind of got to do it from a higher level, right? It and is he's met with lots of resistance when he crazy to brings this up. That one board lady leaves the room and she's just like, these aren't the type of kids to bounce back from failure. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, lady. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucked up. But you know what the other part about it is? Because she's also not a white person. Like the other thing that I thought about when watching this was what's one of the things that she says to him? Like she says, if this man can come in and dictate his own terms over my objection, then I'm not going to be on this board anymore. And it's like, mm-hmm. The nuance in that is there is also like, you know, I mean, there's some sexism. There's sexism that exists. I'm very sure in the school system, if it exists in every other profession known to man. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's interesting that like I picked it up this time where I had never picked it up before. And then again, it's like, it's cool that this movie has like all these different layers that you can see while watching it just because of, you know, the fact that it's it's dealing with all these like different cultural aspects. Um, but, you know, Jaime really does say, say and that's where he gets the, the, the phrase where he says, all you need is ganas. Mm-hmm. And which is, you know, it's like motivation or, you know, wanting to do something. It's it's how it's translated. It's like that's all you need to get to where you want to get. Yeah. And um and, and he, he puts in the effort and to the kids credit, like they put in the effort too. you know, it, it, it doesn't spend a ton of time driving you at, at, how, at why they like make decisions. But like, let's say, for example, like the angel character, he starts off as someone who's not really interested in being in school, but he knows what he's, but he knows math. Like he's, he, he's smart and he's picked it up. And then he has his friend that's like, you know, had clashes with Mr. Escalante the first few days 
And you would think that he comes back to like <laughs> to cause trouble for him later on in the movie or become a villainous character. And he actually really doesn't. He no. really just stays being the character that he was the entire time. It's just that because his friend is staying in this class and starting to learn what he needs to learn, he he basically kind of supports him, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though he doesn't fully understand it. And um, you know, ends up being like a really great friend <laughs> to him. Um, even like, you know, he goes up to Mr. Skull, and it's not one of those things where it's like Jaime tries to force him to get good at math. It's like, no, he goes up to Mr. Escalante and is like, hey, so I got a rep to keep. Um, can I keep like a one book at home and one <laughs> book for my locker? And then he's like, here, here's one book for class, one book for home, and one book for your locker. That way you never have to carry books. <laughs> so he ends up like, he supports him and it's never like, it's never combative. It's never like, it's never melodramatic either. Like no, they relation- get combative at certain points in the movie, but like you said, it doesn't get it doesn't get melodramatic, mm-hmm. and that's what these movies tend to do. And in the hands of less capable directors or directors that don't have the kind of sensitivity required to cover this material, it it, it comes off a lot worse. Whereas this, it there's an authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Hyman's up uh, teaching a lot of the kids, uh, and he has them sign a contract to have them join on for the AP calculus test, or I'm sorry, the AP calculus class. Um, he volunteers to teach the class. Meanwhile, he's also volunteering as like an ESL teacher, um, like at night. So it's like on top of everything else, the guy's working like sixty hour weeks, <laughs> just almost completely volunteering his time. So that way um, he can prepare these uh, kids for classes. So it's like as they go through their first year of school, um, we get to see a lot of the standouts. Like you said, there's Javier, the 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 smarmy nerd. There's Anna, the mousy, <laughs> quiet, smart one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have the scene where um, where uh, Mr. Escalante is trying to like teach the kids um, using terms they understand. So he puts up a math problem about uh, how many gigolos or how many girlfriends for the gigolos. <laughs> so he's trying to have them solve for X using an equation. And that's where we get some really funny lines where he's like, you know, one of the girls gives a wrong answer and he goes, oh, it's not that they're stupid. It's just that they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Or my other favorite line is be merciful on them for they know not what they do. But <laughs> know like he just has like a lot of these like smarmy sarcastic comebacks to a lot of the kids the funny thing too about this script is that none of these characters are based on actual students that he had the only character that is based on an actual student that he had is the character of anna and that's because Mm. jaime escalante had a a character obviously in real life this girl had a different name Mm. and apparently he had a very public you know argument (laughs) in a restaurant uh, called El, El Farolito in LA mm. with uh, this the real person's father. So it's like one of those stories that was adapted for this for this movie. But the rest yeah, of the characters gotcha. who are the students actually they they aren't like there's no title card at the end telling you what happened with these students because a lot of them were just made up for this movie. Mm-hmm. That said the students that did come out of his class, I sent you a YouTube video yesterday and I can post it on our social media as well. Uh, one of the, 
guys who was in his class, I believe in 91 or 92, this was years after Jaime was already teaching at Garfield High School, is actually involved in some of the Mars mission stuff for NASA right now, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's, it, it's cool that, you know, that something in this, not only is it actually real, but there are people that came out of this class with this teacher that are making uh, differences in our lives now. Like they did a news story on him this year uh, on some of the work that he's doing for NASA. So I'm not going to lie. That video made me tear up a little bit. I told it's, you. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's powerful stuff. It's yeah. powerful stuff because how many times do we go into watching these based on a true mo- story things when it's like, you know, we've seen biopics where it's like fictionalized versions of people's lives. And then we see the other one that's like horror movies that absolutely are not based on real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like to see something that, 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 you know, says it's based on something and is actually so like based in reality is impressive mm-hmm. to the point where it feels so real that right now, when I told you that all of these characters are made up characters for the movie outside of one of them, like it's surprising, right? Yeah and, I, yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like that's why that's so interesting, and that's why the people who were in charge with creating this movie deserve a ton of credit because they mm-hmm. made characters that you cared about, like they just completely created these characters for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, as uh, as the school year progresses and a lot more students get involved, or you know, a lot more students start doing better in the algebra class. Um, he wants to get them ready for the for the AP calculus class. So he has them sign that contract, like I was saying, talking about where, you know, they they have to come in an hour before school, stay an hour after class or after school and then come in on the weekends if they want to actually make it to 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 the to get ready for the AP exam. Mm-hmm. So they, not only that, they also have to go in during the summer and they all have to um yeah so they all go have to go into the summer to get caught up essentially so already they're like two steps behind the main plan and you know we get to see them where the school doesn't just doesn't have a place for the students because they've already uh they're using all their space for um i believe for summer school but it's more for like the delinquents right (laughs) that's what that's more what summer school is for so the AP calculus class essentially has to meet up in the football locker room in the middle of like these hot LA summers <laughs> of the late 80s and try to like learn this really intensive math. And, you know, that may manage to stick to it. Mr. Escalante is able to keep them on board uh, as they go into the new school year. Uh, we see some uh, backlash from the year before where you're left to assume it was one of um, either gang members from Angel's old, or Angel's old friends or whatever, but some people like break into his room mm-hmm. and like trash his, his, uh, his classroom and as him and one of his friends try to chase the kids down, they take off running. Um, it's really funny though, because like the, the, the friend, is telling him how he's trying to actually convince Jaime to come back to work because he was trying to tell him that he was laid off from his job as well and then that you know they he tells him that the industry is picking back up and that actually he got called back and if that's something that Jaime would want to do and it's like that's when the kids start like throwing stuff and trashing the room and it's like right after they chase the kids off and as they're walking back 
the friend try, like bends over to pick something and he splits his pants right after talking about how expensive <laughs> his suit was. <laughs> and I'm like, this is stupid 80s humor, but I love it. <laughs> it makes me laugh. And then as the school year progresses, you know, we see a lot of like the a lot of the a lot of this starts wearing on the characters, right? Like Angel st- still continues to struggle with whether he um wants to be a part or if he wants to stay in this class or not or if he wants to like still hang out with his friends and doing hood and for lack of a better term hood rat stuff <laughs> we got um i forget the name of the dude that works on the car the entire the entire um movie Pancho, Pancho yeah mm-hmm. you know we get his arc where Pancho feels like he doesn't belong that he's not smart enough like everyone else and well, he's he the meathead right he's the 100%. meathead character who's big beefy could beat everybody up in the school works on cars like it's just very macho and mm-hmm. when you find out is he's actually like very sensitive about the fact that he has trouble learning some of the stuff that the other kids aren't aren't getting in this class and it's it's funny because you know in the beginning of the movie you think he's going after i forgot what the ah uh, the the boy crazy girl mm-hmm. claudia. was that was that claudia mm-hmm. yeah so it's like he thought you know you think that he's trying to get with um with claudia and he ends up he ends up dating i think it was lupe yes and let's be clear lupe the character of lupe is a it's played by an actress who's a bigger woman right mm-hmm and the other thing that's kind of neat about this is, again, it's like you get a body type that you are not used to seeing in a romantic story. Like there's, and none of it is really around her weight. Like they make the joke, like Angel makes a joke and kind of calls her gordita at some point. But it's like, but her weight or like how she looks is not something that's, that's considered like all of her character. And she, it's like, it's cool that a movie will present that character as opposed to the more quote-unquote traditionally beautiful like mm-hmm. you know female character and make them be the one that's having a meaningful relationship here it, but it's, it's really cool that it does that and it lends back to the legitimacy of this film of how or the authentic oh sorry the authenticity of this film and what they're trying to do is that they're not trying to tell a glamorized story they're telling us the actual story right and it's like as the kids start preparing for the AP exam, you know, the there's uh Mr. Escalante actually ends up having what appears to be a heart attack mm-hmm. about two weeks. Well, before I before I jump to that, uh there is a scene where Angel um comes into class. He looks all messed up because he'd been out all night with his friends. Mm-hmm. He looks just like hungover. He pretty much looks how I feel every Sunday morning. <laughs> And he's a little out of it. And essentially, Escalante kicks him out of class and tells him, you You know, know, he gives him a free pass one time. So the time he comes home hungover, he gets a free pass. The time he comes in late because he went to the hospital with his grandmother is the time that Jaime kicks him out of class. Was that it? Mm hmm. And it's why they kind of get into an argument. Uh, And I love that Angel to like kind of force 
Escalante to be to like forgive him, he invites mm-hmm. his grandma over like during Christmas. For Christmas, time. <laughs> they invite themselves over to Escalante's house for dinner, and Escalante is just like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "That's a really low fucking blow." Mm-hmm. He's like, "But I respect you because it does show you want to stay in the class, so you get to stay in the class." Yeah, and again, <laughs> it's never melodramatic. It's not them shouting at each other. It's not Angel yelling at Jaime and being like, you're not my real dad. It's comedic. It's comedic enough. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It, it's definitely comedic enough to not make it super schmaltzy, you know? Right. And um, it's like, so, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. When we get into kind of the real life of all of this, so the actual event that gets triggered here where they do take the exam and it's found that they had irregularities, quote unquote. It actually happens like years and years into Jaime's like time working at this school to the point where he did have other kids take the AP exam before and they had passed, but in much smaller numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, 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 again, movies will, at, you know, take some sort of liberty with the truth, no matter what. Uh, we talk about how real this feels and stuff like that. And this is a real event that happened. So the, when they questioned the exam results for the 1982 class that he was teaching. Um, but the main difference is that he had already been there for lots of years. And this movie just kind of paints as, as, painted it as if it was his like second year with the same student. So. You kind of have to do that, though. If oh, yeah. For, for narrative movie. purposes for yeah. a movie. You absolutely have to do that. I just because otherwise, to... yeah, we can't watch him go through like four classes. And then no, all of a sudden that happens. You know? Yeah, you don't want you don't want him to go through like seven classes of kids that failed because that it it won't do what the movie wants to do, and that's ultimately exactly the hope of the fact that they were able to do this. You know, um, you know, in a way that they were able to do it. So, so yeah, he ends up having like a heart attack two weeks before the uh, AP exam. And he essentially like forces himself to recover (laughs) to prepare the kids last minute, like for some last minute cramming. And I love the scene where the students are like gathered in in the classroom, like right before they start fighting, right? Because the music teacher is there, and he's like, "Honestly, I don't know anything about math. Um, I teach music." (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, Jesus, the school couldn't even send an actual like. Uh, it, it's, a, a it's a stark reminder of the fact that they don't have the resources they yeah. don't have a calculus teacher and if Jaime is not the one teaching it then these kids aren't going to be able to learn it so I, I get that as well mm-hmm. so um, then mm-hmm. yeah they um, Jaime ends up coming back he manages to get the kids to um, get them ready for the exam uh, they end up taking it and all of them uh, if I remember correctly all of them pass and you know while everyone's celebrating like the kid the kids are commemorated by the school um the kids also commemorate hymen they give him a plaque kind of like as a as a thank you mm-hmm. um only for them to get the news later that all the kids um that you know everyone all pretty much they got too few questions wrong because i think while most people on average were getting 14 points knocked off they were only getting four points taken off and they all were making the same types of mistakes. And I love the scene where like Jaime gets mad about it. And he's just like, that's, that's stupid. He goes, maybe they're making all the same mistakes. Cause they're all being taught to do the same thing by the same guy. Like mm-hmm. what kind of argument is that? <laughs> so he ends up like 
get trying to get an appeal uh with the like ap board investigator he's um, not he, so he's aware of the fact that this is happening he can't really do anything while they're investigating what he wants to mm-hmm. do is to go over there and basically give them a piece of his mind and and say i want to look at this because you know if there's a reason that this happened it's probably because of me and mm-hmm. then that's when he gets into the big argument with Andy Garcia and Andy Garcia is basically, you know, talking about, well, you know, it's irregularities. And once we found out they occurred, that's when we started looking at the school that they were coming from. And that's where he, they, that's where Edward James almost had the Oscar moment. Really. It's, it's the scene that, that probably mm-hmm. netted him the nomination. It's, it's uh, where he, you know, basically just yells at him and tells him, look, he's like, if my kids didn't have Spanish surnames and come from barrio schools, he goes, you guys wouldn't be investigating it the same way that you are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Andy Garcia has a really intense moment where he gets mad and he's like, "It's funny because Andy Garcia, like, what I know him most from is Godfather Three, right? Like that is the movie. Mm-hmm. That's basically his movie. And funny enough, he starred opposite of Al Pacino in it. And I've always felt that I don't know if it's because he did Godfather or he, this movie is before he even did Godfather, but he's got this like Pacino like energy about him." Where it's like he's he's very like like early Pacino, where he can be very quiet mm-hmm. and like have this subdued like conversation with you, and then all of a sudden like just explodes and starts yelling at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, he is. He does have a lot of Pacino qualities in that yeah. sense. <laughs> so I, it, I definitely enjoyed him for as minimal the role that he has in this. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it was cool to 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 watch him in this bit part. Um, so what essentially happens here is the only solution that the kids at Jaime see out of this is for them to have to retake the cl- the test, even though it's mm-hmm. not fair to any one of them that they have to do it. And this is again the real thing that happened. Is did you that, ever? Uh, did you ever have to take an AP exam? Yes, I did. I took an AP history exam. So a push was good. So mm-hmm. you know how what it's like. You cram and prepare like weeks in advance. And then when you go and you when you take the exam, it is almost like a full work day. <laughs> yeah. De- depending on how long it can take you, you can be there like six to eight hours. And this was a year, fuck. When I took AP history, it was my junior year of high school. And I was also taking the SATs for the first time that year. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, fuck, that year was just a series of all day Saturday tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I absolutely remember what it was like taking an AP exam. So and it's like they space like for people that haven't taken it. I know a couple of people, like a bunch of our friends have taken AP exams. But for, you know, for maybe people, some of the listeners like, you know, they space you out. They make you like you same, same thing that happens in this movie. They give you a booklet. You have to rip open the booklet. You can't rip it open until they tell you. Mm-hmm. And you have to bubble in your name perfectly. And otherwise your scores won't count. And then when you're done, you have to seal the booklet. You put in an envelope and you give it to the proctor. Like you can't leave the bath. You can't leave to use the bathroom. Like they are very intense about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a full day. Like it, it, it's just as much of a, like of a physical toll as a mental toll, because it's like, damn, I really got to sit here and take all these, or, you know, answer all these questions to the best of my ability and not move for the next like four to six hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, come on, dude. 
So you end up, uh, you know, like, it, and, and and the big thing of it is it's it's strenuous just preparing for it because it's so nerve-wracking. And that's not me and Angel took U.S. history. We took history classes. Like, that. a lot of that was just writing. Now, I can't even imagine what it's like to do math. To do, mm-hmm. if I had to take AP calculus or AP chemistry or any any class that fries your brain just on as a regular class, now advanced placement, fuck all logic. Off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, come on, man. So these kids literally went from having an entire year to prepare to one day to take the pretty much to cram. And Jaime Escalante helps them. They go, they take the test. Anna has to leave halfway through because she actually has to um, meet up with like a college, I think it was a recruit or a scholarship mm-hmm. like advisor. So she ends up having to leave halfway through the test. And, you know, that's it, you know, like <laughs> once they're done, um, Jaime goes and checks in with the principal at the school. And he ends up getting a call from the AP board. And we get the awesome, like, montage, right, where they're talking about all the students in the class, and they read off their names, and they read off their scores, and everyone passes again. I think the lowest score being Pancho with a three, which is passing. Um, Anna, who leaves halfway through, gets a four, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, Angel and Javier get both get fives because they're mega nerds. <laughs> so apparently you and I are pretty good at calculus. And, and I love the the ending of the film because it's like as as Edward James almost starts walking down, he he has like this not like dejected like he has a very like almost non emotional response as he's listening to this good news. He just kind of like waves and walks away, and then we get like the letter the 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 letter cards that like telling you how in 18 or it was in 1986 this many students graduated in 1987 this like it just goes pretty much from his entire career at Garfield High and you just see all these you know the numbers of students uh, as the years go on more students and more students are graduating from it or passing the AP exam mm-hmm. and it's like as he gets to the stairs you know you get the, the two double doors open and you just see him like fist pump like just punch into the air in excitement and then just kind of walks off and it's just such a like it's just a good release because i think we've all been there at one point where we feel vindicated or we feel like yeah i'm good at my job (laughs) i'm good at what i do i had faith in the people i was working with and you just got to give yourself a little like yeah so yeah and well that was standing deliver. <laughs> uh, yeah, before we finish talking about this movie, I do have kind of one unfortunate thing to get into, and that's the you know we've talked several times about Anna, the character, um, whose father did not want her uh, to be in school, and when Jaime shows up at his you know at her father's restaurant, uh, he goes to eat with his wife, and at the restaurant he like con- tries to convince her father to have her come back to class so that she can get credit to go to college and she can be the first person in her family to not only graduate from high school, but go on and get a college education. And it turns into a big blow up. The actress, her name uh, is Vanessa Marquez. And unfortunately, you know, she's kind of had the most tragic story out of anyone in this cast. Uh, She 
has in real life has suffered with bipolar disorder and agoraphobia. Um, in the decade after this, she basically did bit parts on different series, one of them being ER. And in 2017, even accused uh, someone on the set of ER of, you know, of sexual harassment against her and even alleged that George Clooney was responsible for blacklisting her in Hollywood. Um, and then in 2018, <laughs> she was actually killed by uh, Los Angeles Police Department. It was during... I guess what they called a <laughs> she was killed by the uh, by the LAPD during a wellness check. Um, they had called to basically, I guess, like she was experiencing some sort of mental breakdown and uh, she was armed at the time when the police found her and uh, they actually shoot her twice and she dies at the hands of the police. Jesus. Um, she yeah it, it's it's really unfortunate <laughs> and you know we talk about all these things you know that are political and it's funny that she plays like the mousiest quietest character out of anyone in this cast and the unfortunate part is that the actress who plays her has the most tragic end of anyone mm. in this cast uh you know from there so it is unfortunate and it also a good reminder for all of us that it's just, you know, part of why these things are so important, why it's good to talk about all the aspects of our lives, be it representation, be it destigmatizing mental health in our community as Hispanics, period. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just so that we get better at, you know, at, and, and, you know, a lot of the anti-police sentiment that exists on this program does as well, because it's like, come on it's supposed to be a fucking mental health check <laughs> and you're going to show up and kill this like young lady who there's no way in hell that you would have thought that she could, you know, subdue you in any way. But that's, sorry, sorry that I have to end on such a sad note. <laughs> we are like two for two on ending on sad notes. I, I forgot what we were talking about last week where I totally did the same thing. Like I brought up something super sad. Oh, I think we talked about James Gunn. Uh, was it James Gunn that we talked about that he was that he was uh, experiencing emotional issues or, or maybe. I can't remember but I yeah we, we've, we've unfortunately had a few episodes where <laughs> where we've kind of ended it this way wait till we review Land Before Time and I say hey did you know the Archers of Black Ducky died <laughs> oh yeah, yeah <laughs> or that she was killed like or whatever <laughs> the story was Jesus all right. So, um, okay. Uh, we don't really need to get into the fact where, you know, if we like this movie, we've spent this entire episode talking about why we like this movie. Um, mm -hmm. And really, the fact that it's really important. There, there's such a significance to it. And also just to kind of advocate for the fact that not enough of the shit we need exists. And I hope we do continue to get food as more of this stuff comes to Netflix and different streaming services and more Hispanic creators are now in different subgenres. Like, you know, it, it, we do hope that, that we start to get more projects like this and that this becomes less of an outlier than it is right now. Definitely. So highly recommend for those people that, those of you that like feel good, um, feel good struggle films, I guess is the best <laughs> way to put it. Um, it's going to be one of those movies that it tugs on your heartstrings at times. It's going to be one of those movies that's ultimately going to have you feel some warm and fuzzy stuff. 
um, by the end of it. But yeah, highly recommend. Check it out. Angel Nine Watch on HBO Max if you have a subscription. Pretty sure you can find it on other other ways of streaming. Um, but yeah, like this has been a great sh- this has been a great great topic. It's a good serious grounded one. To talk oh, about. Isn't it nice? It, it's 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 one of those cool things where it's like after we do a ton of comic book movies or we go through like a range of like horror movies for a while. It is nice when we get to take a break. And I think we did this when we did do the right thing. We kind of step into this when we did the mission. Like we step into these like waters like a few times throughout the run of this show. And I kind of mm-hmm. like when we do that because it's like, you know, it's it's a conversation worth having. And uh, it's it's why it's good for people like us to review movies like this because we're going to have a perspective that like other people who listen to us will have as well. And you may not hear many podcasts out there give the same kind of feedback on it because of the experience that we have with it personally. I would like to do a based on the true story month <laughs> and I, where we just review films that are based on a true story. And I wouldn't say that if we were to do that, let's say if we do that next week, I recommend we do Project X. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Immediately destroy all credibility. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Please continue to interact with us on social media. Please continue to rate our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us reviews so that we can up the visibility of the show. And uh, we look forward to you guys joining us next week as well. So we hope you guys have a good week and we'll talk to you guys next time. There you go. Gang, gang.